amen and amen. Yeah, greet each other real quick before uh, maybe you're seated and you can say hey or finish up that last conversation. And as that's happening, I got a couple of the guys coming to help me out here. And um, good to see everybody. As you know, on Wednesday night we receive offerings uh, for some. Perhaps it's opportunity to get the tithe in for others. You uh, want to sow an offering to the Lord. We appreciate that. And it's making a, a great difference. We appreciate uh, what you're doing on even Wednesday night. So thank you, thank you very much in that regard. Just a reminder, we're going to baptize this Sunday. And so we look forward to uh, a great baptismal service. Um, you should be working on Operation Christmas Child, and boxes are coming in, so please be, be working on that as well, and uh, we'll just leave the rest of the announcements as they are. We'll just believe that God will quicken you to that. Excuse me? Boxes are due the 15th, but I think I, 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 think I gave us a kind of a grace week there, that if somebody, somebody always brings it in the next Monday or Tuesday, so... No, it's due the 15th. The 15th, and I think the, the major, it has to be at the major collection place on the 22nd. So, but if I, t see, I'm giving, I'm giving away all my secrets here. See, because some people just said, oh, that just gives me another week then, see, so. No, put, keep the 15th on your calendar, and you'll help us out. And we can hit that goal right away. Amen. All right, we've been talking about the end of the world. You've been following along, so many of you, our instruction on Wednesday night. 2012 has been a, a new movie that's coming out. Has that come out yet? It's supposed to come out this month, isn't it? Friday, coming out Friday? Are you signed up to go? Or you're going? All right. You can tell me if it works out or not. I just, I'll probably go see it as well. I'll probably go see it as well. Truth of the matter is, we know that there's a, there's a good thousand years left. This earth isn't going anywhere for a while. For a while. But... Uh, We've been studying about it because uh, everybody wants to talk about Nostradamus and the Mayan calendar and all the other things that seem to give us hints about the end, but uh, we know the one true book that will tell us what's going on, and that's God's Word. So that's what we've been studying, and we are up to Lesson 7, and now we've finally moved over the halfway point, and we're in the second half of what has been defined as the Great Tribulation. It's the second three and a half years of this seven-year period. And for those of you that have been drawing the chart, you can see every week I kind of put it up a little bit different. And uh, it, it just is easier for me to get my thoughts collected if I start um, just drawing the chart out again. And you can read most of what's going on. But this halfway point... The, the three and a half year point, there is so much that goes on at that halfway point that uh, you can see I've got all of these arrows pointing to the black line there. And, and I've got even things coming down here. There's so many things that transition from tribulation to great tribulation that we want to touch base on. And again, some of it I will come back to. So if I only touch on it for just a moment tonight, chances are good that I will come back in, in one of the next couple weeks and probably touch on it again. Matthew 24, if you have your Bibles, I'm going to start reading some there in Matthew 24. Again, familiar words. Um, I am convinced that the 24th chapter of Matthew has more to do with this coming 
and the events that may precede this coming than it does with the rapture of the church. You may disagree. I'm sure there are great similarities, but uh, that's how I sort of place what Jesus was saying to the disciples. And in Matthew 24, verse 21, it says these words. Jesus says it. For then there will be great tribulation, such as had not been since the beginning of the world until this time, no, nor ever shall be. Verse 22. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. And I honestly believe that a part of what he's alluding to are the uh, catching aways that we mentioned last week that will take place with regards to the rapture of the great multitude. Can I, I, didn't get it, I don't think I said this last week, and this is really a, a good point that I didn't think about till after service and teaching time was all over. But you know how there are many, many people, and for those of you that study this, you'll know this to be true, there are many people who can only see one coming. And, and so they always hook up the rapture and the second coming together as, as one event because they could only see one coming. Now, then there are those that obviously see a two-phase, and, and, and I'm sort of like that. I see, I see a two-phase aspect to his coming. But once you, once you break out of the, the mentality of why, for instance, you have to break out of a mentality here, here of just why one, one coming, why just one catching away. Once you break out of that mentality, then you need to break out of the mentality of, well, if he can rapture once, why is it that it couldn't happen again? So, so don't lock yourself into a mentality that it's just because, well, so-and-so said. I mean, like I said, I, I, may not, I may not be right. Maybe they are right. Maybe there is just one coming. I mean, some of this will be a mystery. I'm, I'm, I'm believing for those that want to be left behind. I'm pulling for you. I hope it works out for you. I plan on being out of here on the first load. So, so you know, like I've been saying, and we've chuckled about it, you know, if Pastor Baird's right, good deal. If I'm wrong, oh my. So don't do that, all right? Get your life right, get your heart right, and, and get ready to roll because what you're going to find out in that second three-and-a-half-year time period, if you thought it was bad here, you ain't seen nothing yet. Revelation 15. Let's go over there real quick and just get some scripture under our belt as we get started. Revelation 15. Revelation 15, 1 and 2. Now, we've reached the place where these bold judgments are going to be released. Now, this trumpet is blown. And again, you'll notice I put down here that these seven bowls or seven vials, again, we're just trying to godly speculate. It could be that those bowls are released exactly the same time period all three and a half of these years. It could well come about like that. I don't think so. The reason I don't think so is because there's so many things happening here with regards to the economy and buying and selling. And when you see the, 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 the wrath that's just absolutely released, it is hard to imagine that certain things that will be taking place could take place with these things happening as well. And so there are, there are good many folks that believe that the seven bowls actually may be held to be released, that is that trumpet is blown and it's released, that it, that it could last just these last few months of this three and a half year time period. Now again, if you don't think it's going to work that way, that's your prerogative. 
We don't know. I don't plan to be there to find out. So I'm just simply saying that, that we know, though, that once that trumpet sounds, and however long a time it is, that there will be some bowls that will be released, and that's what we're going to read about here in Revelation 15. It says, Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues, for in them, it says, the wrath of God is complete. And I saw something like a sea of glass mingled with fire, and those who have the victory over the beast, over his image and over his mark, and over the number of his name, standing on the sea of glass, having the harps of God. Well, that automatically tells me that there are still people who are being saved, imagine, during this particular time period. I mean, how big of a knucklehead are you to have waited through all of this if you had seen some of this now i'm quite sure maybe some people weren't putting it all together but nonetheless we know that there will be some who will who will yet give their hearts to the lord in that time period now jump down to verse six it says and out of the temple came the seven angels having seven plagues clothed in pure bright linen and having their chests girded with golden bands. Then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God, who lives forever and ever. The temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power, and no one was able to enter the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. All right, let's start walking through our notes. In the first half of the tribulation, vicious plagues begin to sweep the earth as those seals and those trumpets are opened and sounded. We've already heard and we've taught that there'll be flaming meteorites that will poison a third of the water supply. Warring armies and riots kill millions. Demonic beings torture the unredeemed. Darkness swallows a third of the sun. And half of the world's post-rapture population dies horribly. And then it gets worse. Now is that not almost unimaginable? Just as the Antichrist starts the tribulation period by signing the peace treaty. Now at this point, he's, he's beloved, he's a world leader, he's able to bring the Arab and the Israeli world together. He, he writes this peace accord and everybody thinks he's all of that. So he literally starts the first three and a half year time period. So it is the Antichrist who will also now start the great tribulation. And we see here that at this midway point, there are several things that are going to take place. We know that the Antichrist is going to have a press conference. And he is at that point, many believe, in the temple to declare that he is God. Now, we're going to talk about why he would even presume to be able to do that in just a moment. But it's at that time he'll break the treaty with Israel and, and all sorts of things that most of you have heard about begin to unravel. He'll use that rebuilt temple in Jerusalem as the stage to proclaim his divinity to the world. And in so doing, that will be the moment that he, brings, that he breaks the treaty and brings upon the earth the wrath of God. Now, the question I always have is, why would people accept the Antichrist's claim to divinity? Now, I want you to think about this for just a moment. Because if somebody stood up today in the earth and said, I'm God, yeah, we'd all go, yeah, right right i mean you think about how skeptical the world is we're skeptical we would be certainly skeptical of that but think of how skeptical the world would be of somebody just standing up and saying just letting everyone know i'm god can you imagine that on the today show and being interviewed by matt lauer or meredith vieira could you imagine katie couric 
working with that. I, I, it, so, so why all of a sudden would people accept his claim to divinity? Well, if you'll go to Revelation 13, and we see really the picture of the rise of the Antichrist. Now, in one of the earlier lessons, I gave you bullet points that we pulled out from all over the scripture with regards to some of the characteristics of the Antichrist. Here in Revelation 13, we find some interesting ones, some of which we're going back to just to elaborate on a little bit. But this is in the book of the Revelation where we find the really the unveiling of who he is and what he's all about. And here in Revelation 13, and I don't know that I'm going to read all of the verses. I'll end up reading the whole chapter to you. But I put in the notes here the references, so hopefully you can follow along. If you brought your Bibles, that's good. You can follow along, and you can begin to see some of the things that we're mentioning here as we go through this. It says in verse 1 that this beast, he's called the beast, and he's rising out of the sea. And most people think that this picture of him rising out of the sea is that he's rising out of this political chaos of the time. There's incredible political chaos that's taking place here. Nobody's able to understand what to do, how to do it, how to pull it together, and he arises out of all of that. Now, the scripture says uh, they are already worshiping the dragon. It says in verse 4, who gives authority to the Antichrist. So what that tells us is, is that the people, after the rapture takes place, the people on earth have already determined that they're going to give themselves, most of the folks, over to Satan. There's going to, be, there's going to be great Satan worship. Now understand this, that to worship Satan doesn't mean that you, you know, build an altar and you put a little red devil up there with horns and a pitchfork and everybody worships him. Or you all go to San Francisco where the church of Satan is located and that's where they worship him. You know, when you, when you worship, you know, a false deity, you know, they, they would worship all sorts of fertility gods, Babylonian fertility gods, Malak. They would worship Malak. Well, Malak's name isn't Satan, but I'll assure you who's behind him. Satan. I mean, religion will keep going. And so it says they worship the dragon, and the dragon being Satan himself is the one who gives authority to the Antichrist. It says also in verse 4, it says, Who is like the beast and who is able to make war with him? So apparently he garners great military power. And so he has militaries behind him as well because nobody can, can battle him or stand up to him. And then here's something that's really interesting. It says that when he comes up out of the sea in verse 1, it says that he has seven heads and ten horns. And on his horns ten crowns and on his heads a blasphemous name. So when John sees this beast come out that's the Antichrist, it's a multi-headed creature. All right, a multi-headed creature. Now, I've already told you that I believe that the Antichrist is indeed a person. There are too many other verses that show us he is indeed a person. But he is a person that has an ability, apparently, to multiply himself somehow in some system or some way. And what John sees, and this is what I always kind of imagine and picture. Whenever I'm reading the Revelation and I think about John, think about John's vocabulary. I mean, the Holy Spirit is certainly using John to write the Revelation. But the Holy Spirit is still using a vocabulary that they had only in the first century, right? So that's what's being inspired, first century vocabulary. How do you begin to describe things if you get to see into the 21st century? How would you describe some of the technology? How would you describe some of the battles? 
How would you describe not knowing what an airplane is, not knowing what a computer is, not knowing what a cell phone is, not knowing these things, and yet you're looking at this and you're trying to somehow write and describe what you're looking. Well, that's how I always approach the book, trying to ask myself, how would someone in the first century begin to describe that? And, and all he can do is he can describe this beast coming out of a sea of chaos, and he's got ten heads. Now we know, now obviously seven heads, excuse me, now, and ten crowns, ten horns with ten crowns. Now obviously if some dude came up with seven heads, I mean, that would be a dead giveaway, wouldn't it? I mean, I mean, <laughs> you're it, that's right, you're it. Um, but we're, we're, let, let, well, let me just hold that for a minute. Let's just hold that thought for a minute because I'm going to get back to that. But this is what it says in verse 3. Listen to this. And I saw one of his heads. Everybody see one of his heads. So one of seven. One of his heads. As if it had been mortally wounded. Very interesting phrase. As if it had been mortally wounded. Now. I've listened to this taught a n- numbers of different ways. There are some who literally teach that the Antichrist is literally shot in the head. How many of you went and saw, what was it, the, what was the one that uh, TBN did? The, the movie TBN did? Uh, Omega, the Omega Code? Now remember, he literally, Michael York got <laughs> shot, and then he was, then he was healed and, and resurrected. Uh, and that's how they interpreted that event. I don't know, how did Tim LaHaye do it in the Left Behind series? Same thing? Well, here, here's the deal. And, and I've been doing a whole lot of reading and a whole lot of thinking and just kind of getting what everybody's saying. Here's something that I think is very important. Resurrection is God's business. The enemy has never resurrected anything in his life. And resurrection is God's business. And so the question is, does, does the enemy really get to resurrect this person? Or how does this work? Some believe that literally he is shot in the head and resurrected. Others disagree, I write, that resurrection is reserved for God alone. And uh, some have maintained that the heads represent kingdoms of the beast. Therefore, the fatal wound is the destruction of a kingdom or empire, and then a swift resurrection of it takes place. But I tend to underscore this phrase here as if it had been mortally wounded. And you can see what I wrote down here, indicating that a deception has been perpetrated on the population. They see something, and somehow or another, they believe him to be resurrected. Now, folks, uh, you, you can YouTube this. I don't know that I'd suggest doing it, but, but if you want, you can. But they have uh, some of the, the, the tricks and the sleight of hand from illusions, thank you, from uh, Chris Angel. Anybody ever... See that? Yeah, do you, I know you aren't supposed to do it. I'm not going to admit I watched that, but I, I mean, okay, I've seen it. I've, seen, I've heard about Chris Angel, and I, you know, who's Chris Angel? Well, let me tell you, he does some things that absolutely blow your mind with regards to people splitting in half, I mean, on park benches, and it's just, it's, it's remarkable. Now, it's an illusion. I'm quite sure it's an illusion. In fact, there are even other videos you can uh, go to and they'll show you how the trick was done but it's this illusion that takes place but it is so real that it, it'll put goosebumps on you and and he, and he allows people to come up real close to the trick or the illusion and and the person just is literally cut in half and put back together again and these people it they just freak because they're just as far as i am from my wife here and and you say how could you do that and it just 
it shows you how there is an ability. You know, there were magicians in, in Moses uh, with uh, Pharaoh in Pharaoh's court. There were magicians, Janus and Jambres, who when Moses began to cast the, his staff down and when the miracles, the supernatural miracles of God began to take place, they were able uh, to counterfeit those several first miracles that took place. Now, I, I believe those magicians were doing illusions. I don't believe God was doing illusions, but I believe they were doing illusions. Now, I'm just telling you that there's something that's going to happen that's, that's going to capture and arrest the attention of the world. And when they see this illusion, they're literally going to swallow that he's been killed and he's been raised from the dead. It will solicit the hearts and the minds of most of the world uh, to declare his worth. That's what worship is. Worship is the declaration of worth. And the world will begin to worship him as he declares himself to be God and breaks the treaty with Israel. They begin to worship and declare his worth. Now, it's interesting that in the same chapter, chapter 13, beginning with verse 11, John says, Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth. So there's beast one. Now there's beast two. Made me just think of that old Dr. Zeus book. I, uh, but, but my mind digresses. Get back to the revelation. Then I saw another beast. It says, and he has two horns like a lamb, and he spoke like a dragon. Now, this is the rise of the Antichrist's sidekick, the false prophet. And at this same three and a half year mark, you'll see I put down here, the false prophet now begins to arise uh, in the earth. And the scripture says here in verse 11 that he doesn't come out of the sea as the Antichrist did, but instead he comes out of the earth. He comes out of the earth. The false prophet will not come out of the political realm. Now, however we want to interpret sea and earth, however we want to interpret these things, the Antichrist comes out of a different venue. He comes out of a different uh, uh, area than the false prophet. Now, I, I, again, I believe that because he's called the false prophet, he comes out of the religious arena. In fact, I believe he's probably Jewish. That, that's my particular feeling. Because it says that he will appear to be lamb-like. Now, I don't know if that means that he's, he's looked at almost as a Christian, if he's looked at almost like a soft-spirited, whatever attributes you might ascribe to a lamb. But the Bible says no matter what he looks like, he speaks like the dragon. So whatever's coming out of his mouth, he's, he's speaking back uh, the words of Satan and, and pointing in that direction. His job description is generally minister of propaganda for the Antichrist. He's the one that will come on the scene with all sorts of power. He will have miraculous power. They will be what the Bible calls false signs or lying signs and wonders. In fact, it's interesting because uh, it was a number of years ago when I first saw this in verse 13, and, and I don't know that anybody, I'm, there are probably others that have taught this, but I, I did get this on my own. On verse 13, it says there that he performs great signs so that he even makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. And, and that is either a picture of Elijah or that is a picture of a false Pentecost. 
And whatever he does at that moment, it solicits the attention of those who have maybe even a Jewish background or, or, or a background that's kind of superficially Christian to where they can see something in him and say, well, that, that happened in the Bible. And, and so it just works all the more in order to begin to solicit people's uh, affection and direction. It says that he will release an image of the Antichrist that must be worshipped under the penalty of death. It says in verse 15, he was granted, meaning the false prophet was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast. Now I'm going I'm to share something with you right here. That the word image, literally in the Greek, is icon. Icon. Now you all know what an icon is, don't you? Don't, don't think back thousands of years. What's an icon today? It's on your computer, isn't it? It's on your computer. I believe that what happened is, is that maybe he, it could be technologically, I don't know. But there's going to be, it, John's looking at this and it's as if he sees an image that suddenly is, is empowered with the same power. Now, I just, you know, I'm just trying to say, how would this work? Do you know right now? That we have technology, and this technology is in the church. There's nothing wrong with the technology, by the way. Technology is neither good nor evil. It's how you use it. You know, a TV can be a wonderful thing. An internet's a wonderful thing, isn't it? You can disseminate the gospel through the internet, or you could do all sorts of vile, despicable things on the internet. So it's not the internet. It's what you do with it. You know, I, my illustration is you can have a wrench... And I've said before, you know, you can have a car that's broke down and you can stick your head under the hood, use a wrench, fix it, and get to church on time. Or you could take the wrench, hide in the bushes, hit somebody over the head with it, and rob them. It's not the wrench's fault. It's what you do with the wrench. But right now there's technology even in the church. Right now, I mean, mostly in the larger churches because it's expensive technology. But you can literally have now a satellite campus and they can put up an HD screen. That, that will put a life-size image of pastor on that HD screen. Yeah, imagine, imagine the screen. It just, it, it starts there, and, and they can run an, an exact duplicate of sanctuaries. They can take a picture of what's going on live in one sanctuary. They can, they can satellite it to the uh, screen that's the big HD screen. And, and the technology is so slick today that it is almost impossible from where people are seated to be able to tell whether it's, it's live or whether it's satellite. Remember when they used to say, is it live or is it Memorex? Well, now, is it live or is it HD? And, and I believe what, the, what John is beginning to see here is, how do you, in first century language, describe an HD screen that, that has a person life-size walking on it and, and being able to charm the crowd and do these things. Well, I, I believe probably it's a great picture of a HD computer working on that. Let me say this, that, that you probably heard this taught that there's a computer in Germany called the Beast. And some people have said that's the Beast. Let me tell you, I believe that the Beast is the Antichrist who has incredible technological ability in order to use that technology in order to, to do what ultimately will take place here. Now, I wrote down here that one of the things he does at this point, prior to this point, he uses what's called Babylon in the book of the Revelation. Babylon in the book of the Revelation 
is a system. And, and there's, there's actually two arms to Babylon. One arm is the religious arm of Babylon, and the other one is the economic arm of Babylon. And in this first three and a half year time period, he uses these two arms. He uses religion to his advantage, and he uses economics to his advantage as well. But when we get to this point, and he declares himself to be God, that's when Babylon, both arms, are destroyed. Religion is, you don't need religion anymore when he says, I'm God. And of course, he's going to begin to control the world's economy. There's an old saying I put in the notes here, that he who holds the gold makes the rules. Whoever holds the purse strings is going to make the rules. Well, nothing could be truer at the start of the great tribulation, that second three and a half years. Everyone will be expected to bow down to the Antichrist and receive the mark that everyone is well aware of with the numbers 666. And this mark uh, will identify them as, it says here, worshipers of the beast. Now, listen to me very carefully. I do not believe you can inadvertently receive the mark. Now, I know through the, I remember the first time I ever saw the debit cards, and you could go to the, the quick shop, and you could get your fuel and just debit it away. I remember the first time I saw that, I thought, oh, this is it. Or the first time you started scanning groceries. This is it. Well, no, it wasn't it, but it is leading to it. I mean, I don't know about you, but I don't carry a lot of cash on me anymore. I just have kind of, now my wife is different. She's, she, she'll be ready to be a tribulation saint, if, but, but you'll be out on the first load, baby. I'm just, we're getting, all right. But, but you know what I'm talking about now. Who, I mean, writing checks is almost obsolete. I mean, think about what gets purchased on the computer. Listen to the statistics this holiday season of how greater and greater numbers of people purchase everything over the Internet. There's, they've worked it out already that, that you can go to grocery stores, and, and right now you have to put it on your person, a card or, or, or whatever it is, but you can literally put your groceries in your cart, and all you have to do is go through the door. And you know those sensors that go off when you're trying to steal something? Well, they're going to use those same sensors in order to scan everything that you just had picked up out of your cart. You don't have to go through a line anymore. It'll scan it all. Think of how quick that will be. Now, l l listen, listen to how, how easy this will be because you won't have to, you won't have, I'm sure you'll have to hire people in other areas to facilitate that, but you won't have to stand in grocery lines anymore. I could almost say hallelujah to that one. I'm, what will you do with coupons? Maybe you, maybe you put the coupons out of your pocket and you just scan. I don't know how it's going to work. I don't know. But, but, I, but let me tell you a story. Now, now again, you know, I want to say this carefully. How much you believe on the Internet, you know, I've learned. I don't, you may already know this. Don't believe everything Wikipedia says. Anybody can put anything they want on Wikipedia, so that doesn't mean it's always accurate. So please be careful about what you grab as true on the Internet. You know, we, we sort of have this mentality, at least for years, if it was printed in a book, it must be true. Well, we know that's not true. Well, now it's like if it's on a computer screen, it must be true. If they have a website, it must be true. No, no not necessarily. But I did read one interesting, interesting article about, um, in fact, it had to do with the military. And 
I don't know if it was, what, what do they call it? Those of you that are in the military and you go to the grocery store at the military, what do they call it? Commissary, yeah. Somebody going through a commissary, apparently, he, and he, he got in a line that he wasn't supposed to get in, and he noticed that the guy ahead of him went through, and it, they, it literally scanned his hand. And all of a sudden, they, they saw that he was in there, wasn't supposed to be in that line, and everybody got nervous because apparently the technology is out already that you can microchip and scan already in your hand. In, well, you have, you have G, GPSs that you can put in your dogs. You have, I mean, they're talking about putting it in your kids. Can, do you know all the things we're seeing these days with kids and abductions? And, and, and think about this. Now, I understand that we, we're thinking at a different level because we got a little understanding. But if you're just in the world and you're paralyzed by fear that someone could come grab your kid, I mean, can you understand how easy it would be just to, if they told you, hey, it's just a little chip in his hand and it'll, it'll, it could save his life? Because we could GPS it. Now, hear me very carefully. This is what I do believe. I don't believe you can inadvertently receive the mark. What that means is, is that, you know, it's just like when you first got your debit card. You know, they give you a debit card or your social security card. You know, people, people freaked over social security cards because they thought that was the beginning. Well, it wasn't, it wasn't the start, but it was leading to the start. So I don't believe we'll inadvertently get the mark because the, the scripture says you must worship the beast. Worship the beast. And, and there, there appears to be in that worshiping an irreversible decision and it becomes an unpar- unpardonable sin is when you receive the mark. Now, if you come up and say, well, how do we know if it's this or that? Folks, I, I don't know. Well, well, we'll have to take a look at it and make our decisions as, as technology goes forward. Uh, but it, it appears to me that somewhere along the way, we're going to have to worship wor- worship the dragon or worship the beast. I'm, and, and I'm just going to be honest with you. We're reaching the place where government is supplanting God to where everything, we're looking to government for everything. And again, government has its place. God set up government. There are appropriate things that government should be doing. But we're reaching the place right now where we can't move, breathe, Sit, stand, hardly do anything unless you get government approval. And so I do believe that there is a responsible place for we who are in the church to challenge government's uh, effect and in influence in our life. Government is not God. Can we say amen? Aren't you glad for that? Have mercy. I mean, it is not God. And so we need to keep that in mind. Government's not your source either. Do you know God's your source? I'm just telling you, man, we get sucked into some things because we think government has an infinite amount of resource. The the governments of this world are finite. A trillion, couple trillion dollars, you know, we we say to ourselves, what's that to a government? Well, maybe, maybe, who knows? Maybe it, it isn't any big deal, but there is a limit. And one of these days, it will break. And when it breaks, there'll be someone to step in and supply some answers for it. So no one will be able to buy or sell without the mark. It is the ultimate key to the cashless society. There's, there's no, not going to be any more under-the-table economics. We aren't going to worry about who pays their taxes and who doesn't pay their taxes. Everything is now taken care of. So these are some of the things that are going to begin to happen in this particular time period. Now, again, we're coming back. We spent, remember, we spent several weeks on the first three and a half years, so I'll spend several weeks on the second three and a half as well. But I want to get to the bowls, and I do want to get to the vials. And I want to get these generally out of the way before we talk about some of the other things that are going to be happening.
You might say that the final bowls of judgment are God's response to the Antichrist's insolent boast that he is to be worshipped. In Revelation 16 is where we find most of the elaboration with regards to when these bowls of judgment are released. Uh, again, I'm not going to read all of Revelation 16, 11 through 21. You can take the time to read that for the sake of time tonight. But these plagues look similar to what God did in Egypt under Moses. Now, I want you to keep that in mind as we begin to identify the two witnesses. Um, you know, my opinion, I, 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 here are the ones that I think they can be. These are the guys that I think they, they have to be, one of these four. It's either Moses, Elijah, uh, Enoch, Moses, Elijah, Enoch, and, uh, and I just went blank. Oh, well. You'll have to come back and hear number four then, won't you? All right. Sorry about that. But anyway, uh, because these are the pictures of those uh, that, that I, I think it was, wasn't it Elijah and Moses that showed up on the mount and transfigured? So, uh, so those are some of the other reasons it might be. Enoch was caught away. He didn't taste of death. That's why uh, I put him in there as well. We, do, we don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us who the two witnesses are, except that we know that, uh, that they're the ones that challenge the Antichrist. But the plagues begin and ended began and ended in the course of one month in the book of Exodus. And this is where I get this concept that maybe it only lasts a short period of time. Because when Moses, God through Moses brought the plagues into Egypt, it was, it was only a, about a 30-day period of time that that took place. And, and so I'm just kind of leaping off that template and wondering if it couldn't be the same thing in this case as well. These seven bowls, the wrath of God, let's go through this uh, rather quickly and we're done tonight. It says that foul and loathsome sores will be released. Severe infection and fever will accompany this. What we, these would be what we would call boils. Only those who receive the mark apparently are affected. Could it be that any tribulation saint is unable to access the food supply from which that is derived? That's what I thought. That because you can't buy or sell without the mark, then you're going to have to develop a food supply outside of that system. So I suspect some of these judgments will come through the food supply. Number two, the Bible says the sea will turn to blood. The remaining two-thirds of the sea turns to blood. You remember in the first half, one-third had already turned to blood? Now it says that the blood literally, if you'll read the passages there... It says it's like a dead man. In other words, the blood, the water that turns to blood is literally coagulating. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the stench and the death to sea creatures? Ships again sink. Men drown in the blood. I know, it's not a good picture. Number three, rivers and springs as well turn to blood. It's as if God says to the Antichrist, who remember has murdered millions, you want blood? Very well. You may have it. Sometimes God will give you. Yeah, he will. Sometimes he lets us have what we think we want. This contaminates what is left of the water supply. So far as I can understand it, I don't know where a water supply will come from at this moment. Number four, the sun scorches men. Somehow the sun's rays are intensified to greater heat levels. Maybe it's because the covering ozone layer is is diminished i don't know but it says that men will suffer heat exhaustion and dehydration because there is no water to drink and it's interesting that the scripture says that the people on the earth will still blaspheme god 
they'll blame God for it still. All of this, God, let me tell you, God is, we're in the day of grace and God's wooing people and he's doing everything he can. Can, can you not see that? How God's trying to do everything he can. But if we won't come out of, out of the goodness of God, listen to me, if you won't come out of the goodness of God, then God says, then maybe you'll come out of the severity. And that's a terrible way to meet your maker. All right? Number five, darkness of the beast's kingdom. There is no natural light over the Antichrist kingdom in the last days of the tribulation. These verses say that men literally chew their tongues. And yet they're still unable to repent. Bible says, number six, that the Euphrates will begin to dry up. And that is to prepare for the armies of the east. Who most people believe are coming out of China or in that region. Because they're the only ones that have the capacity to field a 200 million man army. And they are the ones that are going to begin to move across the dried up Euphrates in order to move toward what we will talk about later as Armageddon. There will also be a releasing of demonic forces as well. It's interesting that by this time, people are so conditioned, I suppose, to these supernatural, even demonic things that are happening, that the scripture says that demons will accompany those armies. Is that not wild? And then finally, number seven, the greatest earthquake in history. In Revelation 16, 17, and 18, it says, And there was a great earthquake, such a mighty and great earthquake as had not occurred since men were on the earth. It says, The great city was divided into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. The cities of the nations fell. It levels the cities of the world and strikes Babylon. I suspect it will be rebuilt Babylon. So this is a literal understanding of Babylon, particularly hard. The Bible says that there'll be enormous hailstones. It says in verse 21, and great hail fell from heaven, fell upon men, each hailstone about the weight of a talent. And we can understand from that that we will have hailstones weighing between 113 and 135 pounds raining out of the sky. In fact, literally, the, uh, the earthquake will move the earth on its axis. It'll, it'll, it'll literally cause the earth to shake on its axis. Now, this horrible scene, and we're concluding right now, is the result of man's rebellion against God. This isn't, God didn't, you know, God didn't have a bad hair day one day and get up and suddenly said, well, I guess I'll just, just blow them all away. This is the result of man's rebellion. Rejection of Jesus along with the following of man's selfish desires culminates into multitudes of people being destroyed by their own devices. This time there's no escape for anyone. In fact, the only escape that takes place in this particular time period, there's a remnant that's hidden. We'll talk about that. We know that the 144,000 sometime during this period will be taken out. We know that the two witnesses who also declare the testimony of the Lord will be taken out as well. And all of these events culminate into the greatest war ever waged on earth, which we will, well, the Bible calls Armageddon. And the only thing that keeps man from destroying himself in this whole scenario is that that's the moment Jesus comes again to the earth. And he's the one that stops the whole thing, puts it all in order. And, of course, a whole new era begins after that. So we're going to pick it up from there. Wasn't that encouraging tonight? Wasn't that... Wasn't that a blessing? Don't you feel built up in the Lord and 
Don't you feel that way? <laughs> Except I'm so amazed at how many people come out to hear about tribulation, man. It just amazes me. Yeah, we want to know, man, what's going to happen. Well, you're going to chew your tongue. Hallelujah. You got to have a little sense of humor. Like I said, uh, for us, it just reminds you why you're living right and why you're living straight. Why you're keeping your, your life filled with extra oil. It's why, you're, why you find yourself in the house of God. Why you endure the persecution you endure. Come on now. Why we sacrifice for the things of God. Why we're living all out. Loving Him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Let me tell you something. There are moments when you may say, why am I doing this? My neighbor, you know, he seems to get off the hook. One of these days, it will be worth it all. One of these days, it will be. It sure will be. Amen. I can field about two questions, three questions, and then I've got to let you go, if you've got any. Yes, ma'am. Right? Uh, well, you know, uh, of course, uh, an Orthodox Jew would practice Judaism as it is reflected in the Old Testament. Now, now we would embrace that, the Old Testament, but we embrace it through the lenses of Jesus and his life and the instruction we find in the New Testament. So the difference is, you know, we believe that Christ is the lamb once slain before the foundation of the world. It's his blood that redeems us and the cross and all, you know, the story. Whereas the, the Jew believes that it is through the practicing of the law and the, and the sacrificial system of bulls and goats, etc., that can provide atonement, which we know no longer will provide atonement. So during this time period, this whole time period, to a great extent, is for the Jew. Because it is God's really last opportunity to try to awaken them to the truth that there is in Jesus Christ. He even allows a temple to be rebuilt, which the whole time they're probably thinking, hoorah, you know, we get to start the sacrificial system. But God only allows that in order that it might also be an opportunity to one more time testify of the lamb once slain before the foundation of the world. So understand, and, and, and I'm very, is that you get to heaven through Jesus. He is the door. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father, he said, except through me. So while the Jew has a covenant with God, and, and God will honor his covenant, he's not, he's not circumventing the requirements of that covenant in order for them to be redeemed. They still have to come uh, through the Lord. So that's important. But that's a good question. All right. Anyone real quick, and, or I'll wrap her up. Going once, going twice. I don't know either. I mean, it could, I, because I don't know how he gets the wound. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this isn't stump the bastard night. All right. I don't know how he, we don't know how he gets the wound. So, you know, could there be other imagery there? Sure, there could be. I'm, I mean, it, it may be. So I've not thought about that, though. I don't know. I can't, can't answer. All right, guys. Let's stand. Amen. All right, I'm going to ask you again, how many are first boatloaders? All right, praise God. I'm, 
I'm believing you're going to be that. Amen. Hey, really, in all seriousness, I know it's Wednesday night. I know. But in all seriousness, if, if you don't have a confidence and you don't know the Lord or, or you need to get things straight with God, we, we can do that tonight. We can do that tonight. And so I'm going to pray here in just a minute. But if before you go tonight, you're saying, you know what, I, I, I need to get something squared away. Um, I'm usually down here for a few moments, so you can you can make your way down here, and I'll be more than happy to make sure every T is crossed and every I is dotted, and that you can walk out and know and have have confidence and know. So, Father, I pray tonight in Jesus' name that uh, you would just continue to work amongst us, Lord. I'm grateful on a midweek evening that, uh, at least from what I saw, it, it looked to be everyone that maybe. Maybe I didn't see everyone, but, but Lord, I'm, I'm glad that there's such confidence in the room that people know that they know that they know you. And I pray, Lord, that you would just continue to keep that established and that you would continue to give us a zeal and a passion and that, and that our lights wouldn't burn low and that we would continually seek you so that we could keep our lamps trimmed and full. And Lord, that's my prayer. I, I, I don't want to leave lame. I want to leave strong. So, Lord, I believe that's what you're looking for. You're looking for a church that's without spot or wrinkle. You're looking for a church that, that, that is excited about righteousness and holiness and, and passion and worship and evangelism and discipling and all the things. You're, you're just looking for a church like that. And, Lord, I want to be a part of that. And, and, Lord, I'm intending and I'm doing all that I know to do and open to hear you speak so that I can be in line with what you're up to. So, Lord, I pray that for your people as well. I pray, Lord, that you would just cause us to be ever vigilant in uh, what you've asked of us to do. I pray your protection upon the folks. I ask, Lord, that, that as we uh, await and, and, and really long for that day, your word says that we're to occupy until you come. So, Lord, we're going to go out of these doors and we're going to exercise dominion. We're going to occupy. We're going to be salt. We're going to be light. And Lord, we're going to do our best to hand off to another generation, if it be your will. We're going to hand off to another generation, Lord, all that we could do, Lord, so that they could be a restoration generation reaching people for Jesus. So I thank you for that. And Lord, we just love you a lot. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.